Our sister Brianna is going to come and she will be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 10, and we're going to go down through verse number 21. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched, inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each other, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the time, in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Over the first nine verses of his letter to these scattered Christians, Peter teaches them and us that they are chosen by God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, and given new birth. And Peter also describes their living hope, real hope. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has also painted this beautiful word picture of the Christian's inheritance. It is eternal and pure and ever beautiful. And God himself is keeping their inheritance safe, and guarding them and us until we receive it. But Peter also acknowledges, as followers of Jesus, we will suffer through various trials. But those trials have purpose in our life. Trial-tested faith glorifies Jesus. So, even though, like Peter's first readers, we have not seen Jesus, still, we love him, and we believe in him, and we anticipate his return. Then, we will experience and enter into and receive the full, glorious expression of our salvation that even now is secure and complete, and ready to be revealed. In our text this morning, Peter explains that followers of Jesus are recipients of grace. What is grace? Grace is God's goodness that you cannot deserve or earn. 
Kids, perhaps I could illustrate that. I recognize this is an imperfect illustration, as most illustrations are, especially those that I offer. Here's an illustration of grace. What if you're having a really bad day around the house? Like you and your brothers and sisters are not getting along. Maybe there's been some, some frustration. Maybe there's been some disobedience. Maybe there's been some raised voices. Hasn't been a great day. Your mom and dad still going to make you dinner? Yep. You know what that is? That's grace. Even if you had a really bad day, they are still going to do the right thing and feed you food. They are still showing you goodness that you did not deserve and that you did not earn. Even if you're having a really good day, does that mean that you get special dinner? No, most of the time, really, really good days just mean really normal dinner. You don't deserve, you don't earn grace. Grace means that God is good, not because of our goodness, but in spite of our sinfulness. Salvation is God's gracious work on behalf of his people. We are recipients of grace who have been born again by our Father. And our new life This new life that he has birthed us into, it requires a new way of life. What does this new way of life look like? Well, this new way of life is anchored to God's faithfulness. Peter wants his readers to know That Christianity is not a new religion founded on the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Rather, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus fulfills God's plan of redemption. A plan that God revealed through the Holy Spirit to the prophets. Prophets like Zechariah that we just had the privilege of studying, and Isaiah, and Daniel, and Micah, and so on. The salvation that Peter's first readers and we have received is a continuation of God's plan of redemption. It's a continuation of God's revelation of himself to his people. We don't want to see Jesus as some kind of outlying point on the graph somewhere. Jesus is the point that the trend line of the graph of the Old Testament has always been moving towards. The gospel of Jesus is not a different message from the Old Testament. Jesus is the focal point of the message of the Old Testament, even when the prophets couldn't see him clearly. Look at verse number 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about, hear it, the grace that you 
The grace that would come to you, those prophets searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Can you imagine hearing that for the very first time? I have to believe that when these scattered Christians heard this, these words for the very first time, and they're, they're reading Peter's letter to them, and he says, verse number 12, it was revealed to them, to those prophets, the work that they're doing in prophesying about the Messiah, it wasn't even for them. It wasn't even ultimately for their generation. It was for you. It was for you, Christians. Their work in the Old Testament was for you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to look into these things. Consider God's faithfulness, people of God. In the past, in the past, the prophets prophesied. Now, someone has preached the gospel to you. In the past, the Spirit revealed future things to the prophets so that they could write them down, so that we could anticipate the Messiah, so that we would recognize him when he arrived. The prophets wrote future things down. The Spirit reveals it. The prophets write it down. Now, the Spirit has told you the same things. Through whom? Through those who, by the Spirit, preach the gospel to you. In the past, the prophets eagerly desired to understand the circumstances and the time. When will the Messiah come? What will it be like? What will the situation be like? We just got through Zechariah. You remember how much of that is still obscure? They desired to know. They wanted to understand more and more about what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them. But now, it's not just the prophets who desire to know. It's the angels. Angels desire into look, to look into these things that the prophets wrote down for you. This is a beautiful little word picture of angels uh, desiring to look into. I, I think of... Um, uh, this, this will work better for some of us than others, but a hockey arena. I'm thinking of Jake at a hockey arena, and um, his kids are with him, and they're, they're very low. They're right at the edge. Maybe it's a high school arena or whatever. And Emma is standing next to him, and she's like, I can't see. I can't see anything that's happening in the ice or on the ice. She's like those angels. She wants to peer into the rink and see what's going on. What does Jake do? He, he picks her up, 
and holds her up so that she can peer into what's happening down on the ice. That's the angels. They want to know more about this salvation that you have received. They want to understand more about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. We live where life is hard. That may mean the loss of social status. It may mean shame and ridicule for us. It may mean embarrassment for standing up for our faith. It may mean persecution. It could mean martyrdom. God may call us to lay down our lives for this faith. Don't give up. The gospel that you have received and believed is God's grace to you. You are more privileged than the prophets more favored than the angels. And your new life requires a new way of life. This new way of life is anchored to God's faithfulness. Verse 13. Therefore... Therefore, Peter has no conception of a Christian life where believers merely assent to a set of core doctrines. He brings his readers and us face to face with these wonderful indicatives, these wonderful things that God has done for us in Christ. These wonderful truths about who we are because of the work of the Lord Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And now Peter is going to turn our attention to imperatives. Now that we know what is true of this salvation that we have received, now that we know what is true, what should we do? How should we respond? New life requires a new way of life. Kids, do you like... Uh, in the springtime, maybe in the fall, but I suspect mostly in the springtime, you like to find little caterpillars. You know what a caterpillar is? You know what a caterpillar is, Evan? Creepy, crawly little thing, right? Eats a lot. Some of them are like fuzzy. Others of them, are, they look a little gross and slimy. But they, they crawl around on twigs and, and grass and your playground and your sandbox and all the things. Little caterpillars. You know what happens to caterpillars? Who knows? They become butterflies. At some point when they have eaten enough, they find themselves a twig, a stick. They hang themselves upside down on this twig or this stick or this branch. And they wrap themselves up in some kind of goopy stuff that starts to harden. And then, 
They digest themselves. And the caterpillar is just caterpillar soup inside of the chrysalis, the cocoon. And then what will happen? Well, we don't even entirely know. We know what comes out. And we've managed to learn some things about what's happening in there. But it still is mostly a mystery. But what comes out is not a creepy crawly thing a couple of weeks later. But what? A butterfly. A moth. Something that went into and dissolved. It was all brown, kind of gross looking anyway. Creepy crawly thing. Comes out and it is beautiful. Orange and, and black and yellow and green and red. Wonderful colors. And what else? The best part. It can fly. It was just a creepy crawly thing before, and now it is flying all over the place. Some of them migrating tens of thousands of miles. Can you imagine a caterpillar thinking about migrating in the air, flying somewhere? Only if someone flicks it off of the picnic table. What would happen if you discovered, what would you think about if you go out this spring and you lift up a rock and underneath that rock you see a beautiful monarch butterfly that's, that has its wings all pulled in and it's just living in the dark underneath that rock. Something is wrong, right? There's a problem with that butterfly. It's still behaving like it's a caterpillar, but it's not a caterpillar anymore. It has wings. It's not designed for the ground anymore. God has now remade it, rebirthed it for something new to fly. Mindful of all that God has done for us in Christ. How should we how must we respond? How do we respond to God's choosing, to the new birth, to our living hope, to the inheritance, to the fact that we are more privileged than the prophets and more favored than the angels? How do followers of Jesus respond to this? Verse 13. Therefore, with your mind ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's Peter's first imperative in the letter. The first thing that followers of Jesus must do according to to the Apostle Peter, we must set our hope completely. Lena, what happens if you shoot more free throws? You get more points and you get better at shooting free throws, right? You shoot more free throws, you get better at shooting free throws. You take more practice shots, you get better. 
I, I assume you have to calm yourself down. This is why I don't play basketball. You have to calm yourself down a little bit. I'm too shaky. You have to steady your hand, deep breath, focus on. I can't remember if it's the front of the rim or the back of the rim. You go up with good form. You take your shot, right? Follow through, bend your knees, all of those things. That sound about right? I could coach basketball. <laughs> I can't make a shot to save my life, but I know the words, okay? You practice shooting free throws, and you will get better at making free throws. Hope is not improved by practice. Hope is less an attitude that we need to cultivate and more a reality that we simply need to recognize. Set your hope does not mean get better at the skill of hoping. Set your hope means you remember this. My future is not in flux, in question, or in doubt. That is the reality that is true. According to God's word that we have already read in verses 1 through 9, my future is not in flux, in question, or in doubt. I don't need to get better at hoping. I just need to admit what God says is true. I need to recognize this reality about my future and set my hope on that. Set your hope means recognizing this reality. God has my future firmly under his sovereign, loving control. Hope is a response in the present to God's work in the past that blows on the coals of our faith. Hope is like bubble wrap on the gift of faith. Set your hope completely on God's grace and God will see to it that your faith is guarded. Don't put your hope in status or power, or influence, or relationships, or education, or experiences. Not even a little. Peter says, set your hope completely on the grace that is yours. None of those things will bubble wrap your faith. Not when you live where life is hard. Your new life is anchored to God's faithfulness. And your new life is evidenced by hopeful holiness. Hopeful Christians do not live carelessly. Hopeful Christians, remember, I have been born again. The God and Father of 
my Lord Jesus Christ, is my God and Father. And he is holding on to an inheritance for me. And there is only more grace from him for me in my future. Because I have that hope. Because we have that hope, people of God. Then we ought to be holy like him. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? Holiness is difference. God is holy because he is unique. He is utterly unlike us. Totally different from us. He is infinite and we are finite. That means he is eternal and we dwell down here in time and we have to keep checking our watches. He is the creator and we are the creatures. He is the source of life. Without him, we would be dead. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-everywhere-being God. And we are absolutely none of those things. He is perfectly pure, without sin, completely righteous. God is holy. And holiness means difference. Holiness is not a do-good checklist. Let's not reduce holiness to a limited number of holy actions. Did you hear what Peter said? If we are hopeful people, then we ought to be holy in all of our conduct. Hopeful Christians do not live carelessly. If our new life requires a new way of life, and that new way of life is evidenced by hopeful holiness, what might that look like? Well, if holiness is difference, then perhaps we can ask this question. How can I be different from the world that I live in? How can I be different from the culture that I live in? Let's start here. 
and let's unpack this together in missional community. But I want to give us a head start, okay? Husbands. If we're going to be different, here's a place for us to start. What is the default joke? What gets laughs in sitcoms and movies about husbands and and dads? Helpless? Dad is a, a deadbeat. He's out of touch with his wife and his children. He spends most of his time in front of the TV. Or maybe he's rarely home because he's so busy working or hanging out with friends. If holiness is difference, then let's be different from the jokes. Husbands, serve your wife. Serve your wife. Here's an idea. Ask her which of her household chores is her least favorite chore and do it regularly and joyfully. I'm just giving you an idea. Ask her about her Bible reading and listen to her. Regularly remind her that she is not defined by her insecurity, but by being a beloved daughter of the King of Kings. Give yourself to her. Give yourself to her physical health, her emotional health, her mental health, her spiritual health. This is Paul's admonition to husbands in Ephesians 5. Be present at home. Take every opportunity to give, every opportunity that God gives to teach your children the gospel. Fathers, don't allow your family to become so busy, so consumed with activity that you don't have time to be together, to engage in reading and prayer and Bible storytelling and learning together the gospel of Jesus Christ. Set a good example for your family by being the member of your family most committed to going to missional community and engaging in an active way there. Wives, what is the default joke for you? Mom is always a hot mess. She's always nagging her husband. She's drug around by her emotions, constantly scolding the children in frustration. If holiness is difference, then let's be different. Honor your husband. Ask him, what is the hardest part about leading our family? And then look for ways that you can leverage your strengths to help him. 
Ask him. Wives, please ask him. Ask him about his Bible reading and then listen and regularly remind him that he is not defined by his weakness. But he is defined by being a well-loved son of the King of Kings. Respect his leadership, even when it is incomplete and imperfect, and you figure you could probably just do it yourself. Be joyfully present at home. Take every opportunity God gives you to teach your children the gospel. Don't allow the family to be so busy that you don't have time to be together to remember what God says is most important. Set an example by being the most excited member of your family to open your home in hospitality, to welcome strangers and friends into your home and serve them and love them and show them what it is to be a family that loves Jesus. Holiness is different, but it is not just for husbands and wives. You didn't think you were going to get off easy, did you, singles? Young people, I have a little something for you too. If holiness is difference, what jokes would the world tell about us? What's the worst thing that they say about Christians? You are hypocrites. You're all a bunch of hypocrites, or else you're irrelevant. You don't really matter. Some kind of a mealy, milk toast faith that doesn't amount to anything in the real world. Let's be different. Read your Bible. Pray. Memorize Scripture. Commit to being in community with other followers of Jesus. Slow down and spend time meditating on God and His good promises to you. Put your skills and your talents and your God-given gifts to use for the good of His church. Husbands and wives, you get in on all these too, right? More, not less than these. You should read your Bible too. Husbands and wives, you should read your Bible too. Put your skills and talents and God-given gifts to use for the good of his church and our community. Put them to good use. Give financially to God's work here, there, and everywhere and be delighted to do it, not because you feel like you have to, but because you can't wait to be involved in the things that God is doing in his world. Don't be content watching your friends and coworkers aimlessly drift through life to an eternity without God. Tell them about Jesus. That would be different, right? Don't waste your company's time. Don't badmouth your boss. Stop, stop chasing a social media ideal. Please stop cycling through self-help books. Let's be different. If that's holiness, if holiness is difference, then let's do that. Don't get drunk. Don't sleep around. Don't look at pornography. That's what culture and the world wants you to do. What a waste. What a waste for the people of God in light of all of the wonderful promises that God has given to us in Christ. In light of the fact that God has birthed us to new life, calls us his children, promises us an eternal inheritance. 
be different. Be holy. Because God, your Father, is holy. Peter adds a warning to this exhortation. The Father that we pray to is also the one who will judge with perfect insight and clarity. Look at verse 17. If you appeal to the Father, if you pray to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. New life requires a new way of life. Imagine my son, Samuel, who I love and I'm so proud of. Imagine Samuel gets in his Nissan Juke and drives to Las Vegas. And while he is in Las Vegas, he plays himself some blackjack and some some poker and uh, does some, some betting and some carrying on slot machines and Samuel racks up big debt. And he can't pay. And so they lock him up. And they give him one call. I assume, I'm, I'm, this is just a made-up story. He's right back there, so he's not in Vegas. They, they give him one call, and he's, he calls me, and he's like, Dad, uh, I've made a horrible mistake. I drove my Nissan Juke to Las Vegas. Uh, I don't really know how to play blackjack or poker, and as a result, I have racked up a huge amount of debt. Can you come help me? And so we sell one of the remaining family vehicles, and I make my way with my cash to Vegas. I pay his debt, and I bring him home. A little bit of time goes by, and I catch word that Samuel was at Southside Poorhouse, over by Sandy's Donuts there, popular place on weekends, and he's playing pull tabs. Then I find out that he's playing some blackjack and got together with a bunch of his buddies and playing poker again. Then I find out that he's in Vegas betting on the Super Bowl. What would I think about Samuel? What would we all think about him at this point? Well, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my finances. He doesn't care about his sisters. He doesn't care about whatever retirement I might have someday. He doesn't care that we're now walking places because we don't have a car. He doesn't care what his mom thinks, that her heart is broken. To profess faith in Jesus without becoming more like Jesus is to deny the value of Jesus' death. That's what Peter says in verse 18. For you know, you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited 
from your fathers. You used to not know any better. Maybe your, your family wasn't great. You used to not know any better. But you've been redeemed out of that empty way of life. But not with perishable things like silver or gold. No, no. You have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb unblemished and spotless. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. You know, people of God, if you have believed the gospel, then you know that you have been redeemed from an empty way of life, a futile way of life, a way of life that blends in and assimilates with the world and the culture. You have been redeemed out of that life and brought into a new life that requires a new way of life. If the death of Jesus matters to you, if you are a recipient of grace, if you claim to be a child of God, then you cannot, you must not go on living in your sin. God didn't redeem you with any valuable thing that you could find here on earth, not even the most valuable things that we possess, silver, gold, precious stones, none of those things would, would suffice for your redemption. God redeemed you. God redeemed sinners with the precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his life on the cross in order to give you new life. And that new life, it requires a new way of life. Have you been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ? If not, as we sang together, sinner, believe it. Sinner, receive it. If you're doubting, believe what God says is true. Friends and followers of Jesus, living where life is hard, we are recipients of grace, and like a beautiful butterfly, our new life requires a new way of life. Our new life is anchored to God's faithfulness and it is evidenced by hopeful holiness. Look how Peter closes this portion, verse 21. Through him, through Jesus, you believe in God who raised him, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We have faith. We believe. Why? Because God followed through on what he revealed to the prophets. Jesus came. He suffered. He rose again. And now he is glorified. And the angels want in on looking at that. That is our salvation, followers of Jesus. We have faith. 
We believe what God said is true. And we set our hope completely on God's grace for our future. This is how we live where life is hard. By continuing to believe what God says is true. New life requires a new way of life. Let's pray together.